Welcome to Passports and Postcards, where we discuss everything travel, from cultural inspirations to exciting destinations and everything in between. With your host, Randall McKeown. I would like to welcome to the show today, Angelina Carlton of Legacy Planning out of Beverly Hills, California. Angelina and I met through a members-only social platform called A Small World, where like-minded individuals are encouraged to travel and are invited to attend uniquely designed social events. I'd like to welcome you today. Angelina, how are you? I'm good, Randall. Thank you so much for the invitation to be on your platform. I very much looking, I look forward to sharing my personal experience with traveling, and I hope that it serves to inspire your listeners. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you're currently doing? I was born in San Antonio, Texas, and I had the opportunity to travel throughout Asia, Europe, and the Middle East when I was growing up. I was the daughter of an Air Force officer, and therefore we had uh, both the opportunity to move, but also the weekends to travel. And it was an incredible education to have this worldly experience as a part of my upbringing. It, it exceeded the history textbooks, which I will talk about in a moment. And for a little bit of background about myself currently, I am the founder of a, a boutique coaching and advisory firm known as Design Your Legacy. And it teaches affluent individuals as well as business professionals everything they need to know to define, develop, and execute their personal life legacy. I understand that from, you said growing up as a military background, that you have traveled. So can you tell us about some of your early travel experiences? Yes, and I'm actually really excited to share this story because for many people who might not travel abroad, they might just believe what they see on the television news media or the propaganda and not know what it actually is to step foot into something that we might call a foreign place, but obviously it's not foreign to those that domicile there. So I'd like to invite your listeners into a story where we get to journey to Turkey. That's right, the Republic of Turkey. So how I would like to begin the story is that the year was 1984 and there was a 27 hour long flight. So my family started right outside of Boston where my father's parents were living in Worcester. And we had to fly first to New York and then the second layover to Zurich, Switzerland, and then the third layover to Istanbul, Turkey, and then the final trip to Izmir. So for a child, that is a kind of a long flight. And um, as my dad had told me before I uh, chatted with him about this podcast, I was very angry with him. I said, why did you bring me here? You know, and so you've got this kid with a knapsack on and her toys in the knapsack. But it, it ended up being the favorite time of my life. And that's kind of what I want to um, guide your listeners through regarding the places that I saw and the events that happened and also the emotions that that occurred, which make it my favorite place. So so again, this was not the first time that I had traveled abroad, but the reason it was my favorite was because it the number one, the people were so warm and hospitable. The food was out of sight, like the food was just amazing. And, and it was like walking in the, the stage of what I might call living history. And so I'm going to get to the, the, uh, the first location within Turkey to provide a little bit of a 
of a backdrop. And then I'll get into the emotional stuff because I know that as humans, we are emotional. So again, so when I first arrived there, it was dry and hot and the roads were dirty. And so that was the first impression. But little did I know that what laid in store for me would only take my breath away. My dad had found out about this local beach called Teos Beach, and it is about five or 10 miles south of Izmir, and it's like a little cove. And he discovered this beach because of the neighbors that lived above us in an apartment. It was a local place, so there were no tourists, and I literally spent half of the year at this beach. And and I'll get to it in a moment, one of your other questions about... um, you know, if there was like an absolute favorite, favorite place, and and it would be this, this beach, because when you're a child, and you're building sandcastles, and it's, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, the the scenery in the Mediterranean on the Aegean Sea is gorgeous to begin with. But then when you add the fact that there is a family unit together, and they are playing as, as a group, I mean, it, it just, I mean, it was the happiest time of my life. It's in my, not just in my heart and in my soul, but it's in my DNA memory. It's in my nervous system. Like as a coach, if somebody says to me, you know, shift your state, that's the place that I go back to is Teos Beach. Also uh, on maps, it would be Teos, T-E-O-S, and then space A-N-T-I-K. So again, it just, the salt water was cold, the sun was warm, there was something called meat on a stick, my mother would pack picnic baskets, I mean, we'd watch the sunset, I mean, this was like, when you talk about there's 52 weeks in a year, and you spend half the year at a beach every weekend, it's, it, it's like paradise, especially for a kid growing up. Yes, so that's the first place. The second place I wanted to, to share is that we also went to a place known as Ephesus, which has a number of ruins. So again, for a child, it's one thing to read about history in a book, which is sometimes a little bit boring because you have to rely on your imagination. But it's another thing to run through the ruins, chasing your sister, falling down, getting scrapey knees and bleeding, right? I mean, it just was um, so filled with magic. And Ephesus was also the location of St. Paul's legacy because he preached at the ruins about Yeshua and he challenges the might of the Roman Empire. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> So that was a very much a magical place because, again, it's like walking into the amphitheater and the scenery and knowing that centuries before you lived, there was a story there where humanity struggled with different concepts and beliefs and worldviews. And here you are and you're standing there with with architecture that might not be found in the United States, for instance, or Canada or North America and so forth. Yes. So also uh, in these adventures of Turkey, I wanted to highlight the location of St. Sophia's. So it was in Istanbul, but uh, it had also been known as Constantinople at one time. And and so when we had visited, I believe it it was a mosque. Today, it has a different purpose uh, for different political reasons and so forth regarding the, the structure. But my father has a master's degree in world military history. So every location we went to, you know, it wasn't just that there was a Turkish tour guide. There was also my dad explaining the story and, and again, bringing something that could be boring to somebody else, but bringing it to life because he knew the, the facts and the dates and the timeline and the players that were involved in. And Turkey, given its location, 
in the Mediterranean. Uh, it, it just was in this central location in between the Muslims fighting with the Europeans and all of the different adventures and the empires. And so here, here one is standing there. And again, it's, it's it, not just that the ar architecture is breathtaking, but also it's a piece of world history. And yes, yes, I, that's what I wanna, wanna say about St. Sophia's. So again, when we weren't spending half of the year going to Teos Beach, the other, let's say 25 weekends, my father planned a field trip for every weekend, and he made a financial decision regarding intentional spending. So instead of buying a Mercedes or some luxury car, he chose instead to allocate those funds so that he could take his family on field trips because he knew that this area provided this knowledge, this education. And so not only did we have the the funds set aside to go on these field trips, but also he wanted to purchase um, personal property like the handmade Turkish rugs and other artifacts and cultural items that couldn't easily be found in North America, but he could acquire them there, buy them, bring them back. And so again, it, that's one of the things about traveling, you know, is somebody's love language uh, portfolio assets or is it life experiences? Yes. To, to continue, I'd also like to share um, a couple other locations, and uh, one of them being Cappadocia, that's also in Turkey, and it is an area of caves where Christians had hid out and lived maybe about eight floors underground of these rock formations, and, and they did that in order to survive persecution at that time, and so it, it's just memorable to walk the site of these rock formations knowing that uh, there was a group of people many centuries ago that had to figure out a way to, to block the entrances and, and in their life, they might not have known the difference between night and day when somebody's eight floors underground, but that's how they survived. And, and then at some point, they must, they must have imagined that it would be safe to come up to the surface. And then obviously they, then they lived on the surface, but I mean, it's the courage of these people and and here, here is somebody who is a child walking through these historic areas, and it's just breathtaking. All of it is. I mean, it's it's just yeah, it's magical. So, should I keep going? If, if you want to, you know, I'm just intrigued about all you're teaching us about uh, these places I've never been to. So, if you get oh, more, okay. Well, I'll keep going. Okay. So, um, yep. So. Um, Again, uh, there was another weekend where we traveled. It was about 10 to 12 hours east of Izmir. So here was my dad and he packed up the Volkswagen Rabbit because again, he chose to not buy the Mercedes. <laughs> and the whole family piled into the Rabbit, my sister, my mother and I, and my, obviously my dad was driving. And we traveled about 10 to 12 hours east of Izmir from our apartment right there on the coastline with a wonderful water view of the Aegean Sea. And we traveled to Konya. Um, it might also be pronounced Konak, um, but it was where I watched the whirling dervishes for the first time in my life. And whirling dervishes is a mystical form of Islam. And I am not a Muslim, but I can respect different beliefs and religions and, and other individuals' views of how they worship and find their spirituality. And I was left again with my breath taken away because whirling dervishes, they they do this dance and a part of it is spinning and um, 
they wear costumes. Now, I don't know if obviously the right vocabulary is costumes. They might have a more proper terminology for it, but it just, um, I had never seen anything like it before. And, and, and so it just was, you know, it, it was like outside of my, my world and, and it, and it left a very positive impression on me because then it's like, I wanted to embrace what was different and I wanted to learn more. And I think that's one of the benefits of traveling is that we venture outside of our comfort zone and we get to explore and understand how other people live, how they eat, how they worship, how they, you know, transcend in their growth of this journey called life. And, you know, if I could find some different images, I'm happy to send them your way or, or web links. But again, that I think that was just a, a marvelous experience. And, and if I circle back to the food, there's obviously the baklava, which is uh, this delicious dessert filled with honey, well known in Turkey. But also, it, there was something called ekmek, which is a type of bread. And and also in, to assimilate into that culture, so we didn't, wouldn't come across as a, you know those ethnocentric Americans that can sometimes happen when one is abroad and, and and they get to hear about the feedback of how others view Americans. So again, we learned Turkish. My father was already fluent in Turkish because he was sent to a language school, but I had uh, to pick up Turkish. And so both my sister and I, being children, uh, kids absorb language easily. So I could still say to you today, uh, which means, hello, how are you? And so there was this respect extended to the people of Turkey. And then in turn, because we were interested in their culture and in, you know, their identity, they in turn gave back to us. And so the number of times that I would be invited to tease. And again, I, I'm with my father, obviously, I'm not traveling alone as a child, but they would have their tea with, um, these sugar cubes and and it just again was such a different yet magical experience you know i have uh i had an uncle he passed away but he was involved in the canadian military and the family traveled abroad uh they spent most of their time in germany but i think uh, as my cousins were growing up in a different country one, they were, like you said, it's easier for them to pick up a language, which they both did. They embraced the culture. Like, actually, when they, when they returned one year for Christmas, I can remember the way they were dressed was different than we would dress here in Canada. And I was a little puzzled by it. I was only about 12 years old. So I asked my mom, I said, why do they look funny? And she said, no, it's they are wearing the traditional clothing of that particular area. So I had to actually think about, I didn't really think about it then, but as an adult, I go, oh, that was really not the nice thing to say was why are they wearing these funny clothes, but I do understand. And then my aunt, my lovely aunt decided to send me some clothes from that country. And my mom made me wear them. So, but again, it's, <laughs> we talk about people that are, we think they're different, but really when you get to know people, we aren't we aren't all that different. We're all looking for the same things. And as you said, traveling, I I'll always say that traveling is the best education I ever got. Kudos to your father for being able to do that and take you guys around. And I'm going to let you go into more travel stories. If you've got more travel stories or if you've got experiences you'd like to discuss. Okay, go ahead. I, I'm just so excited listening to your, you talking about your path and you can feel the passion about your memories coming forward again, just thinking back on and reflecting. 
So yeah, so I really appreciate this. So continue on there. Yes. Well, I, I just want to highlight again, the first decade of my life was just so positive in my childhood. And so I think that that one of the things that I can always go back to in my mind, if I'm having a challenge as an adult, because that that solid foundation is there, the solid foundation of adventure and education and unconditional love. And, you know, one of the things that I mentioned about why Teo speech is my favorite location is one of the, the and, I, and I'll just share it now is, you know, I just remember holding hands with my mother and we would watch the sunset and of course her other hand was holding my sister's hand but that type of just I mean everybody was so happy and my my family of origin has even talked about wanting to return to Turkey knowing full well still that it would be very different today different people are there it's not going to be exactly the same but for all four of us it was just such a joyful time and in and it was again it was it fills my heart with so much warmth and happiness. And it was such a time to cherish. And just as somebody and I will get to an exciting moment, you know, in a second here, but it's because somebody doesn't know when they travel what they what they're going to expect or or what to expect. And then when it it exceeds their expectations, it, it makes that much more of a positive imprint on their memories. And so yes, so again, when we first arrived there, you know, there was something called the Soraka winds. And what that is, is the uh, on the Aegean Sea, there's a hot wind that blows from the Aegean Sea to the mountainside, and it's yellow uh, in color, that's what it tends to be. And it blocks the sun a bit, it makes the sun kind of blurry, that's why they, they call it kind of like a yellow wind. And then at night, it blows inland from the mountains back out to the ocean. So when we're first there, we're, we, you know, again, we're shocked and we don't know what to expect. And there were also some realistic moments where if the water went out, we had to fill the bathtub with uh, water to last us a few days. So there was very much an understanding of how we were connected to the land and that in, and it, it wasn't necessarily that we were living a, a bespoke, luxurious lifestyle. It was that we ventured off, like you've, you've talked about many times, leaving the resort. But then when you do get your hands dirty with the locals and the food, and that's when it's like miracles open up that that you don't expect because you didn't predict it. But because it's not predict, predicted, it becomes that much more meaningful. Like I'll share one, one quick story before I, I mention something courtesy of my cousin. And that was we lived across the street from this nightclub. <laughs> And so my parents in this apartment, it was like a kind of like a big penthouse type apartment. They decided to pick a bedroom closer inside, whereas the outside apartment that faced the busy street, that, that's the bedroom my sister and I <laughs> received. And so at night I would stay up and I would sit on the balcony and I would look out and in the and in their culture, they would celebrate, they would sing and dance all night and eat. So maybe their dinner would start at seven o'clock, and then they would celebrate maybe till 11pm or midnight. And so here I am staying up late every night. But it left this idea of celebration in my mind regarding how we can live life. It wasn't this idea of people being stuck in a like a nine to five job or being unhappy or any of those types of images. I, you know, here I am as a child, and I'm watching people across the street you know as my feet are dangling off of this balcony and i and they're 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 singing and dancing and 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 a part of the mediterranean culture is that they'll have 10 or 15 different dishes on the table and everybody shares and again it it left this idea of just sheer happiness and so that was kind of the standard 
that the first decade of my life was imprinted with. And I wouldn't change that for anything because I, I, I'm not sure if Americans can go to Turkey now. Maybe one day that will change. But the memory that stays in my heart, it, it's, you know, can never be, be taken away. So, yes. So I want to share two more quick stories. Okay. So the first one is, uh, I just, so just as my father uh, was and is a historian, so is my dear cousin, Carl Neville, who is a Knights Templar. And, and so when I chatted with him, prior to coming to your podcast, he wanted me to mention one thing about St. Nicholas Church, which is located in Kale, Turkey. So I had visited, um, I want to say St. Mary's Church, um, but I don't necessarily know the history behind it. But according to my cousin Carl, St. Nicholas Church was a part of the Path of the Grail. And he's coming out with a book soon called When the Trumpet Sounds. So when you're on your next flight, this would be a great uh, Kindle or, or book to acquire. And so the, the key about or the insight about the St. Nicholas Church is St. Nicholas is tied to Santa Claus. Many people today, especially maybe Generation Z or millennials might only know of Santa Claus as the commercial version, but Santa Claus is also connected to the origin of the story of St. Nicholas Church. And the grail apparently was placed under ground in the church as a way of enabling a hidden time piece of one decade prior to the grail being moved to Cyprus. So I just wanted to make one plug regarding the grail and the grail's path with Turkey. So that's that. <laughs> so I know that uh, you've asked, asked the question sometimes, you know, do we pack too much or just enough? And I, I think the answer to that is just enough because I think, again, it comes down to experiences. We can't take, you know, what we accumulate with us. And I think the similar thing with travel, if, if you go with less, you can always come back with more. But, but it can be scary to leave behind some of those, what I could call critter comforts, because it, it comforts us. It comforts yeah. us to have our favorite sweatshirt or sweater or jacket and, and, and so on in, in that predictability. And I think with the human mind, there is that, uh, let's say 50% want certainty, but then there's another 50% that craves that uncertainty because it means that we're growing and we're fully alive. Well, I guess I should, what I should do is I should let my wife do what she does, because when I start packing, I put stuff in, she's taking it out. So carry on. Okay, I just wanted to, you know, one of the questions you, you've also uh, asked me prior to this is, you know, tell us about, a, you know, even a misadventure and what we learned from the experience. So I have one for you. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Uh, I, I have a few, but uh, I want to hear yours. So other than uh, the taxi drivers in Turkey traditionally being smokers, so whereas, um, let's say, uh, certain states in, in the U USA have uh, rules about, you know, no, no smoking inside of buildings and so forth, in, in Turkey, you get into a taxi cab, and, and <laughs> I'd say 99% of the chance that a driver is a smoker. <laughs> so other than for that, you know, and other than the one time that my parents found a homeless gentleman in the Volkswagen Rabbit... <laughs> which they politely, you know, invited him yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, there was one moment where it, there was a, a real adventure, which had to do with a brief misunderstanding. So the Turkish police decided to hold up my father and they brought him in to an interrogation because they found one set of U.S. identification and then a second set of Turkish identification. So they wanted to know who he was. <laughs> So after bringing him in within minutes, there was a knock at the door and all of it stopped at once. 
So the Turkish Air Force had stepped in and then the Turkish police were embarrassed. And so there were lots of apologies. And from that point on, the Turkish police would give a nod to my to my dad, because I guess what happened very quickly was the London embassy stepped in. And so and the reason for the second set of identification was because my father had been assigned to to that Turkish uh Air Force um, unit uh, for that time that he was stationed there. So that was the contract and the the terms and conditions of the contract. But for that one moment, <laughs> yeah, it got exciting. Yeah, until there was the knock at that door. Yes. Now you've covered a lot of stuff here and I really appreciate it because I'm learning a lot about you. I'm learning a lot about your travel and especially a lot about travel like Turkey itself, especially as a young girl, what you remember about Turkey. You did say maybe it would be an idea for the family to go back. And we know things change and they're not always the same. Would it be something that maybe you and the family would look forward to in the future? Maybe. Absolutely. Because it was a favorite time of our lives. And, um, you know, the other thing that it it allowed was to learn more about um, the family members, uh, you know, for, and I'll just share a quick story. My father loves black and white photography. So when we were there, he took, you know, maybe 500 or a thousand. And, and so it also offers the opportunity to learn about somebody in, in a different setting. So uh, go ahead. I'm, you know, I'm really curious about uh, where you're taking us on this journey. So it's, it's like, I'm traveling with you. Wonderful. And I hope that your listeners, again, can gain from this story of personal experience so that it, it can in- inspire them to step outside of their comfort zone and to also, uh, you know, look forward to brighter days, especially during the pandemic that people have experienced the last year, year and a half and so forth. Yeah, I just wanted to close with this idea of, you know, this, uh, you know, one of the questions you said to me is, if there's anything I'd like to share with your listeners, whether it's, you know, uh, a work or a hobby or future travel plans, I, I just want to connect for a moment, not just that what we record becomes our legacy, but I'd like to, to, to do a call to action and to challenge your listeners that if they could fit their legacy into a suitcase, what might they put in? Because I think that's one place to start. Sometimes we can think of our legacy as something too big, or we're going to procrastinate and put it off for tomorrow. But I think that if we start small, just as we have to think through what will we put into our suitcase, it is a, you know, a, 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 a realistic, practical sized container that we could start and become intentional about just as we are intentional about, do I bring that sweatshirt? Do I not? Do I bring that jacket? Do I not? Do you know what I mean? I appreciate you sharing that. And again, that's something for me to think about is what could I fit? What is my legacy? I know I've been on your podcast before. We've talked about my legacy. And I, I believe that there are so many different things in my life that I've done that I think what I need to do is sort of put together so that, you know, even doing these podcasts, God forbid, if anything happened to me, my voice is recorded, my video is recorded in, in some instances, uh, my writing is out there. So there are a lot of things I'm leaving behind so that I believe that's part of my legacy. But I think what I've done with people, my experience with people, my interaction with people, they will remember that. And I have people that I've worked with like 20, 25 years ago that I will run into that I haven't seen in that length of time. They remember me. And one of the first things they say is like, either you're the best boss I ever had or 
you really guided me. And those things make me feel proud in how I handled myself back then. So I, I think I would have to seriously look to see how much of that could I fit in a suitcase. Now, my question to you is how big is a suitcase? <laughs> Maybe you'll have to go shopping, right? <laughs> yeah. Before we go, is there anything else you would like our listeners to know about you? Maybe what you're working on for the future? Maybe are are you writing a book? Are you planning any travel soon? Sure, sure. I I, I was thinking of closing our, our chat with, you know, just sharing that I think traveling makes us happier. It opens our minds and it allows us to learn through play. And it's, you know, always good experiences that can serve us well later in life. And um, in terms of things or projects that I'm working on, I am co-authoring a, a book right now, and it's been kind of a project the last few years because I'm being very intentional about what goes in every single page. And I hope that it will become a, a coffee table book with a hardcover uh, that's a really good quality book. And so that's why I'm, I've been taking my sweet time. And yes, so that's something I've been working on. I like to hear about that when it does come out. It might be one of your first purchasers, first readers of the book. I want to thank you for coming on today all the way from California. With technology, we are able to connect with people around the world and have these amazing travel stories. I, it was a delightful conversation today to learn about you and your background. And, and those stories, sort of they are the ones your childhood shaped our future. And as I said earlier in this conversation, I think Travel is a, the best education I've ever received. I can read all the textbooks I want to. I can watch all the movies I want to, but actually be in destination, experience those things is amazing. And I appreciate you coming on today and I look forward to our continued friendship and see where the future lays for us. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Randall. <laughs>